If Cork's plan A breaks down, the plan B doesn't work at all. So Limerick have Cork's plan A down to a T. They can neutralise that and then Cork's plan B is just not working because they don't seem to have one. Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live on Sky Sports. I'm prepared to end it my can. Do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should it be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Now then, great to have you with us. Crystal Palace leads second half underway, nil all, 49 minutes in the clock. Leads are far from done in the relegation rat race at the bottom. We'll be talking Burnley, we'll be talking Everton, very happy to say. As usual on a Monday, Mr Pat Nevin is with us. Good evening. Good evening, how are you doing? Very well. I had two tweets in relation to you. I can guess one of them. One of them was the standard, in light of Jorginho's penalty, etc. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. (laughs) Uh, The one that caught my eye, Pat Nevin on Mastermind. And I thought, hmm, I will have to (laughs) chat to him about this. This is interesting. So uh, talk to me. Mastermind. uh, Well, first of all, um, recorded about nine months ago. (laughs) So I can hardly remember it. And it just went out last Saturday night. And uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to link the two uh, tweets together. Taking a penalty is probably the hairiest thing you do in a football field, especially in a, you know, a penalty shootout. That is just the one thing. Nothing else ever bothered me. But if it was a really important penalty, and I was fortunate, I didn't have it to take any particularly important penalties in shootouts. Um, but that is horrible. It is nothing compared to mastermind. It is absolutely... Nothing gets me. I never get worried. I don't do do nerves. I don't do any of that. Mastermind is horrifying. (laughs) Because you you have no clue what they're going to ask you about. Um, Particularly and worryingly on your uh, own expert chosen subject. Um, I'm fine with general knowledge. I'll be okay with that. But, oh, honestly, I hated it. Can I tell you? I hated it. Uh, and I hated it particularly because I didn't win. But I, I got a kind of mid-table mediocrity, which kind of... Oh, and I made one big mistake. And so anyway, anyone out there, haven't done it once, here's what you need to know. Yeah. See a specialist subject, make it slim. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all you need to know. Nothing else you need to know. Don't say, I'll do the works of PG Woodhouse like I did and have tons and tons and tons of books to read through <laughs> and millions of names to remember. Do you know the, the 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 fights of one fighter or something like that? One boxer, and you'll be all right. So wow. I was going to say, if I ever do it again, I'll remember that. But I ain't doing it again. No chance. You did the entire works of PG Woodhouse as your well. I managed to get them down to their Jeeves and Worcester stories. So anything involving them. <laughs> so that's down to a couple of dozen books or whatever. You know. Um, and you think you'll get the obvious ones, you know. Yeah, I'll tell you all day long about Gussie Fink Nottle. But <laughs> some of this stuff. <laughs> but here's the upside of it. My thinking was, you, you make three grand for charity, £3,000 for charity. So that's grand. Uh, the other side of it is, um, I got to spend a summer reading PG Woodhouse. And I was getting paid for it. And that's all right. <laughs> that's okay. I can do that. Hmm. So uh, in the end, it's something you have to do. And... Uh, I, I always admit that I will try anything once. 
but only once. Uh, it's tough, and I do admire anyone who goes on it now. It really is not an easy gig. Um, next time, do you know what I would do? I've, I've changed my mind. If I do it next time, I'm going to have general knowledge from my special subject because I've done much better. <laughs> oh, you did better in general knowledge, did you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've more than double. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh. So, um, but I do a lot of crosswords and things like that. So, uh, But it's really, it's, it's a really interesting thing to do. And the obvious thing, I could have gone easy and went, you know, Celtic 1967 to 1978 when I was watching them yeah. <laughs> or something like that, or Factory Records, which was a more obvious one for me. But I almost thought that was cheating because it's something you you know back to front. So, uh, See, no, I was all right. I break you, that's the point of a specialist subject. You don't, like, take up a new hobby and try and master that. You pick something that you're on top of. Don't want to be predictable, do you? <laughs> well, I mean, when they told me it wasn't like punk 1980s, I was shocked. Absolutely yeah. shocked. Well, don't be too shocked. I mean, I love Plum. I love PG Woodhouse. So, I mean, I do okay. love his work, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's quite wide. Uh, I've never but, um, watched Mastermind, I have to say. Um, it's, do you know what? The specialist subjects are a bit of a pain. That was the other thing. When you come up with a specialist subject, mm. a good idea is not to do it so self-indulgently because... Remember, this is an entertainment for people. So especially the subject that most people have got a wee bit of knowledge about mm. so they can join in. Um, so that side, it can be a wee bit tiresome. However, uh, the general knowledge is the best bit about it because uh, we can all join in that. It's great. That, that side of it's really good fun. Well, apparently the highest ever score on specialist subject, I'm just uh, glancing here on Wikipedia, was somebody who was questioned about the life of Martin Luther King. Oh, well, one person. You stick with one person. That's the idea. Um, but I mean, to be honest, if you know and love your subject and uh, you get the right questions, etc. I mean, I'm not making any excuses. Like, um, I think, and it's slightly different because I was doing the celebrity mastermind, okay. which is slightly different. For the, so the timings, you get you get a, a little bit less time in your special subject and things like that. Um, but just really, it, it is one of the. I know. It's, I would say it's one of the hardest things, if not the hardest most difficult thing I've actually ever done because anything else you know exactly what to prep for on that you don't it's completely blind it's brilliant it's it's try it once but maybe not again <laughs> well good man you're very exposed doing that so well done all for charity I know but I like laughing at myself as well so that's alright if I was to read because I haven't read any PG Woodhouse if I was to read one tale of his give us the quick recommendation then we'll talk football what ho Jeeves? Just do what ho Jeeves. I should just get a compendium of the Jeeves stories. Because in the end, see if you pick up a PG Woodhouse book, right? Here's the t test. Get any Woodhouse book, particularly, you know, the Woodhouse, the Jeeves and the ones are easy, right? Yeah. Pick up, open a page, right? And read a page and see if you can change any word to make it better. Any single word, right? It's impossible. I've tried it so many times. The man was a genius of a writer. And okay. it, it, that is the beauty of English writing. Is, although it's light comedy, it's absolutely brilliant writing. Okay, well, that's a hell of a recommendation. And I presume Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry did a hell of a job, did they? Um, depends on your age group. For me, yeah, they nailed it. Absolutely and utterly nailed it. Um, you almost you almost think you can't, because it was Carmichael that did the, the last one uh, before that. He was... Uh, the last uh, famous uh, um, Worcester, Bertie. 
Um, and lots of people in different times have remembered different ones. I think Richard Briars was uh, did it once as well. But once you've seen Brian Laurie do it, it's kind of no point in anyone else doing it again. It's just too, just perfect. Mm. There is a text in. As sympathetic as you might expect, lads, come on. Pat played a shocker. He lost to some chap from Gogglebox. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I think he was the one that did a boxing thing or something like that. Okay. which was really clever and to be honest I can't make that excuse because I think he got 10 on the general knowledge and I only got 9 so he even beat me on general knowledge as well so I have no excuse there whatsoever Will we talk some football? Uh, why not? Why not? <laughs> uh, Man City dealt with Watford at home as you might expect they'd scored after four minutes so that was that then it was a case of over to you Liverpool who in the end beat Everton by two goals to nil Everton decided after some very iffy away performances, uh, not least, for instance, that one away to Spurs where they were wide open, wide open. And we spoke to you that Monday evening. Clearly, Frank Lampard sat down and thought, well, that is not the way to do this. So it was a 4-5-1. We've seen this kind of effort before, effort, and they have eight losses in a row away from home. So he has to, you know, he got to try something away from home. As a as a policy, as a way to go out and try and shut up shop, did you think, given what Everton have, it was the right way to approach the game? Um, it's not a problem for Everton, because I watched Brentford doing that recently down at Stamford Bridge. I watched Arsenal doing that down at Stamford Bridge. Um, it's a perfectly reasonable and acceptable way to go about a game. And both of those games were won by the team that played that way, but broke very well. Um, so I, I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing for Frank to do. Play an open game against Liverpool and they've got absolutely thumped. I, I, don't, I have no doubt about that. In the simplest terms, is there one player in the Everton team that you would take if you were a Liverpool manager before you are a player? Is there one? And I don't think there is. I don't think you can say, oh, you know, you know, we'll take Gordon, but where would you put him in? Even Richarlison, would you put him in front of anyone? And Richarlison's a, a great player. Maybe he's the only one you could ask a question of. But for the rest of it, player for player, they're nowhere near Liverpool. So playing an open game didn't make any sense at all. And that is so against what, the way Frank Lampard thinks. Uh, uh, honestly, it's just all the way from when he was a player, when he's managed anywhere, you know, Derby, then Chelsea, he, he won't do fear. He, he, it's almost as... And I do understand that. It's a horrible thing when you send out a team and you're basically saying to your team, by the way, you're not as good as that lot, so we're going to do a defensive job. I, I don't think it's in his nature and in his character to do it, but he was right to do it this time and have a go at it this time. And to some degree, it worked to a level for a period of time, I think more than it would have done had he played a much more open game because they weren't good enough to do that. So I understood where he was coming from. We also got the fight and the battle they was wanting um, maybe slightly too much now and again but there was no way that they could stand back and, and just lap it up and you know let Liverpool do what they wanted to do I think, it was, I think Frank was within a between a, a rock and a hard place with that one and you know I kind of nodded and thought yeah fine it's not great but there you go and I think Frank Lampard's words at the end of the game were probably the most important ones taking aside the discussions about penalties and things like that and yellow cards he just said, if they fight like that between now and the end of the season, he thinks they'll get enough points. Um, and that's quite a big if. Because they've not always done that. Um, their, their home record's not bad. Um, but away from home, as you say, it, it, it really has stunk. Um, and I, to get that sort of attitude 
when it's not a Merseyside derby, when everything wasn't on it that day. Well, if you can do it now between now and the end of the season, well, why haven't you been doing it beforehand? So it's asking a lot of that Everton team, especially as we know, Burnley have decided to... They leave their runs late now and again, but this is a hell of a late win, but it's it's coming. Um, I do worry. I absolutely worry for Everton. And, and to be fair, we've talked before, I've been worried for a long time about them because it just hasn't looked like a balanced squad. It just hasn't looked... you know. And then in the midst of that, you know, they're, they're warming up and they miss the centre-half. Has to sort of say, well, I can't play. Uh, and they have to make a change and Keane comes on before that. It's not excuses for them. The reason why they're in this position is because of long-term bad manning and bad plan, uh, bad pl- management and bad planning. Um, they've not spent the money well and they've spent a huge amount of money. And there's no point in going back. I mean, I was, again, a bit of a lone voice saying, I don't know why you're getting rid of Rafa, um, because he knows how to do things ugly and he'll do it ugly. Um, and even with Frank, when I'm saying, well, I mean, I like Frank and I think Frank's a very good manager, but you've just brought in a new guy who doesn't know as much as Rafa. Um, but that's the way Everton have done it for too long now. They've just chopped and changed. I can't blame them for the, the Ancelotti one, um, but it's painful. It's it's really painful because there's about six different managers, players in there. I mean, how how do you build that? And I compared that to, I was writing a piece about West Ham the other day. And that looks like somebody's grown up who's going to put that together, doesn't it? Mm. That's a balanced squad. It's not been stupid amounts of money spent on it, but it looks right and it's done really well. And of course, it's back to Moyes again. You know, it's a guy who actually used to organise a good squad there. It's been a long time since it felt that way in, in Everton. And it looks like after a long time, it's really come home to bite them. It really is. I mean, half a billion spent and they were sanctioned. This is one of the great examples of executive mismanagement in football, which is saying something. Everton, on occasion, broke away. There was the Richarlison winning the ball and uh, Decore was through and there was a grey shot in the second half, which is a great shot, but wasn't quite on target. But in the main, those rare attacking moments, they didn't quite put anything together. One of the moments where Lampard feels they were uh, harshly treated was the Anthony Gordon nudged over in the penalty box by Matip. So here's Lampard talking at full time about that situation. Well, it's a penalty in the second half for me. I don't, I don't think you get them here. And I think probably if that's Mo Salah at the other end, I think he gets the penalty. And I, I'm not being um, trying to create conflict there. I just think it's a reality of football sometimes. Maybe I played at clubs sometimes that were top eight reaches of the league and the crowd behind them and, and you, you do what you get the more you don't for me for, for, for sure that was a, a penalty uh, the second one on Anthony and it's a foul it's a clear foul um, but we don't, you don't get them here I have to say having no horse in the race I thought it was a, a stonewall penalty as well he wins the foot race he gets in front of Matip he gets a nudge he goes down mm-hmm. came over alright a couple of things I, mean, I should be biasing in Evans' favour, right? Okay, I should be. That's one of my teams. Got a lot of passion for them, etc. I had no complaints with them not giving the penalty. Um, and I, I'll tell you for why. Mm. I thought Sp- Frank spoke well there. It's true. I've been at Anfield when I've been halfed through with Gary Ablett with the most ridiculous penalty and the referee waves play on. I've actually been rugby tackled by Steve Nickel on the box when I was one and one with Grobola right in front of the cop. No penalty. So he's got something there. And it's not just Liverpool. He's, Frank made the point. 
if you're the big team, your home team, and you've got the crowd, it has an effect, right? There's, it's just accepted in football. We know that happens sometimes. And that's, by the way, that's applauding the crowd because that's what you do. Put pressure on the referee and the officials, right? So I agree with them there. Tell you the problem with Anthony Gordon. He's, a, he's actually got a reputation now. He's already got a reputation. And that's worrying. And there's a number of young players that come into the game. I think he's a fabulous player. Right? He's got great skills. But one of the things he's doing now, he's been caught a few times diving, throwing himself to the ground unnecessarily. See, referees now, they, they don't, they're not stupid. They, they think, well, he's one of the ones that goes down a wee bit easily. So they'll wave it on because they're, they're not sure about it. Now, at that point in time, you might go and have a look or the VAR has to go and have a look. Well, the way the VAR works is simple. It has to be a clear and obvious error. There is a perfectly reasonable argument that Anthony Gordon gets it, gets in front and runs towards the player and throws his leg towards the player to some degree. There's an argument. Not necessarily true. It's not necessarily right. I think, on balance, it probably was a penalty. But it's a probably. And if it was a stone waller, he'll get it. But see, because he's done that a few times, and I'm talking about Anthony just because we're talking about him at the moment, there's a, a good number of other players I could say exactly the same thing about. A good number of them young, and it's really creeping back in badly into the game in the Premier League at the moment. It's gone before him, and he's he's paid the price for it. And I really do think he's paid the price for that. And it's when you've done it a few times, you have to remember referees talk to each other, officials talk to each other. They watch match of the day, they watch the highlights, and think, well, I, I hope I never am in that position where I've given a free kick or a yellow card or a penalty kick when somebody's actually, to be kind, bought it. Um, and Anthony's done it a few times, and he's, he's paying the price for it now. And there are others. It's not against Anthony. It's not against... There are others that do it and the referees know. And that's the price you pay. And do you think he deserved a yellow for the Keita dive? Uh, um, I mean, that's a kind of... That's kind of halfway. I'm, I'm not even arguing too much about it. You know, I don't think it's that big a deal, that one. I don't think it's that big a deal, that mm. one. I'm, I get more worried about the ones that are in the the penalty box when you're, you're you're actually trying to make sure that the whole entire game's changed on that. Um, but, you know, you just have to remember that, that it's, it's going to be there. The referees have got that in mind. It's always been the case. It's always been the case that referees have had players in their mind. And sometimes they become biased for a while against those players. And the player has to show, actually, I'm, I'm not like that anymore. I'm different now. And it, But sometimes it takes a wee while for that to happen. Um, and it, He'll learn, hopefully. I hope the officials learn. I personally would, in the end, not even blame them. I, the, pers- the people I would blame are the officials who don't use VAR the right way. If they catch anyone actually diving, it doesn't even matter if the referee sees it or not. Get a yellow card out for him. Just say, right, we found him diving. We've seen there was nobody with him. He's holding his face when he was, nowhere, he was touched in the chest or something like that. Just get a card out. A word in the air. That will stop it happening. That's, that's how you stop it. Mm. You, you stop it with really vigorous use of VAR in the situations. Not in these ones where it might have been or it's a probable or a, it's even an 80% likelihood. No, the ones where they're actively seen to be cheating, diving, feigning injury, you can, do it, you can do it after the fact. It's no problem at all. And then you start getting this out of the game. Amazing atmosphere at Anfield again. There is a kind of a giddiness and a sense of involvement 
that I last associate really with 2013 almost when Jared slipped and the bus was being welcomed with flares and the whole place was just focused on, on this and nothing else almost in their lives and Klopp goes down and does his four punches and Anfield goes and you know it's it's uh, God you'd be you'd be jealous because it would be an amazing thing to be a part of as a fan or a player or a manager what about their performance because they just keep churning out results at the moment there's no let up yeah they just have added more I mean at the beginning of the season I wasn't convinced that that was going to work remember Van Dijk was coming back from the injury um you know, where they're going to have enough strength and depth. But the bits that they've added have been brilliant. I mean, absolutely fantastic. And you've got to say, it's partly Klopp, um, but also the background people who are looking at the types of players are going to do well for Liverpool. They're not getting many wrong, are they? No. Uh, I, I trust you enjoyed Luis Diaz's control on the touchline. Um, I enjoyed it um, specifically for the fact it was showy. It actually wasn't that difficult. <laughs> no, it, like it, it, I agree with you. I mean, see, I can't say this. You can say this. But my main thought was, it's not that difficult. No, it's not. It's not a difficult one. It's an easy thing to do. But it didn't have to look good. <laughs> Unless you have to be a toffee and you're a bit fed up. With it. Um, but no, it's, I, I applaud anyone who brings entertainment to the game. And I don't... It was a bit showy, but you know what? See, if you do something showy and it does what it's supposed to do and gets you the ball... That's fine. I think everything absolutely clean. Can I throw a, a, a theory slash question to you? I actually, I wasn't as sure it was showy for a moment. I thought it was a late adjustment maybe to the flight of the ball. And because it's not that difficult, he was watching the ball, watching the ball. And he went, oh, it's gone there and, and just reacted accordingly. Um, as footballers can, as you would have. Well, some of, the, some of the times you're absolutely right. It's that thing where it's coming and it's, it's either your right or your left. You want it to come, but if it comes between the two, you oh, you kind of half yes. shuffle. Yes. What you do then is you move your leg so that it, you can actually control it with your favoured foot. Yeah. And if that means putting your favoured foot behind the other one, then fine, you do that because you get great control with that. Um, but I think he was, I, I think he was generally in control of the situation, and it's it is brilliant to see that level of confidence in a player um, to be able to do that. There's, Lots and lots of players can do that. But most would think, if I get that wrong, I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> but he's got utter confidence and he can do it. And uh, I certainly would applaud him, any player, for bringing in any skills. Because, again, underline again, this is an entertainment. You know, you, you want to entertain people as well. People want to enjoy it. We're talking about it just now. Liverpool fans would have been talking about it and having a smile about it. And that's exactly what I would like to see in football. But... He's he's added that you know Jota's been a, a, a fantastic addition as well, um, and just look through the whole team. Uh, in, in Thiago, I can try. He, he's just gone on to a new level, hasn't he? A completely oh, new level yeah. now. So you know, everyone's coming back to the boil now. And yeah, you're right. It does feel like that, and it is one of them between now and the end of the season. It's it's joyous to see this this battle. We've seen that a few times now, and they're going to get. The, the 90 odd points and we chatted a while back about how rare it is for anyone ever to get 90 odd points and Man City and them are just doing it all the time now or very very regularly mm. and it's a bit like you, if you don't get 90 points you probably 90 odd points you, you're not going to win the league and that's staggering I was I was thinking about it today and I had a quick look at the league table someone said to me which is the question we're all asking are any of the two of them going to drop points between now and the end of the season the stats kind of say they're not going to lose any of those games. 
between them, they've played 66 league games this season and lost five. And considering this is supposed to be the best league in the world, that is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. So I would go so far as to say that one of them might draw one of the games and that's where it may, may even be decided. Yeah, I think I tend to agree. Uh, we're going to take a very short break and we're back with Pat Nevin. Our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky. Watch every way for Champions League and Europa League match live on BT Sport this season. 72 minutes on the clock, nil all between Leeds and Palace. Welcome back. So 77 minutes on the clock still. Palace nil, Leeds nil. Paul and Cork is listening. These two teams, that City and Liverpool, beyond belief. In 2019, Liverpool win their last nine. City match them this after decades and decades of proof that everybody wobbles at some stage under the pressure of a run-in now I wouldn't be surprised if they both win all their matches again yeah it is extraordinary Pat Nevin is with us if you're just tuning in we've been chatting about well largely Liverpool and Everton and just briefly by the way because then I want to talk to you about Arsenal Manchester United but uh, events at Turf Moor are catching the eye it's exacerbating the situation and the worries around uh, Everton so Burnley won Wolves nil they have taken 10 points from 5 games they beat Southampton on Thursday they're 3 unbeaten under Mike Jackson I was listening to Danny Murphy speaking earlier on and he knew Mike Jackson at uh, Crewe, which despite the horrors uh, visited upon uh, so many young players there, ironically seemed to uh, produce really good footballers and and a certain style of football as well, which is uh, incredible when you think about it. But Danny Murphy was saying Mike Jackson was a really highly touted footballer within the game, would have been known and just didn't quite happen for him, but gets the game, likes expansive football. Uh, David Moyes was a mentor of his at Preston and uh, well, he's popped up here and hey, maybe it's just a change of voice. I don't know, but I suppose Burnley was always a business with fine margins, not high scores, don't concede much. And that was the business model. And a goal conceded here or a goal not scored there would just throw things out of kilter. And I don't know, the scales have nudged back in their favour of late. Uh, they have. The, I watched one of the the, the last games and was under uh, Sean Dyche and it was at Brentford and they stunk. They were awful. Um, it was horrible and I'm sure I, at the time my, my thought was someone stumped me in a TARDIS and I've gone back 50 years and it's horrible um, there was not um, an ounce of creativity um, they all seemed to have thought right this is what we do we'll just keep on doing this and they were, uh, they were like automatons it was horrible to watch and at that moment even though I loved the concept of Burnley I love different styles being in the Premier League it's great it's, there's no right or wrong way to play football but this was really ugly and it was really dull and it, it was a it was anti-football. Um, and the I, I, first time I've ever thought it, I thought, I hope you, you lock it down. Because C- you know, there's no joy, no joy, no fun, nothing that I liked about, the, about what they were doing. And the one thing that you did always say, well, at least you're giving everything, even that looked laboured. Um, but over the last few games, suddenly, you know, suddenly it looks a bit better. Um, they're playing a little bit more football for the bits that I've seen of them. Mm. Um, and they've, they're all putting the effort in again. So you're right, it might be that old cliche. It's just a different voice. Um, but he'll be saying one or two things to them that, you know, in his mind, basically, I wouldn't be surprised if he's telling one or two of them, by the way, you're, you're a good player. You know, you don't need to do that one individual thing all the time. You don't need to keep on playing that simple, systematic stuff. Let, let yourself go a wee bit now and again. It's amazing how you blossom. And again, it's not just football. It's anything. 
somebody tells you you're good at your job, do you suddenly feel better or do you feel worse? <laughs> Simple, it's not complicated. You say, yeah, you're actually quite good. Suddenly you can blossom and I think he's just allowed them to blossom a wee bit more and and whether that would last long, to, long term or not, who knows? But they don't care. It's not important. It's it's giving them that lift. And when they got a lift on the field, their fans were ab- been absolutely brilliant behind them, which they always are at home anyway. Um, but it's maybe just that as much as anything else. Uh, quote of the weekend from Paul Scholes. He was on punditry and he was speaking after Arsenal 3, Manchester United 1. It's a disaster of a dressing room. I had a quick chat with Jesse Lingard the other day and I'm sure he won't mind me saying that the dressing room is just a disaster. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think There's he might. One, Come on. One slight, one slight mistake in that quote. <laughs> <laughs> that was gas. As if Paul, this Paul Scholes talking as if somebody who's never played football for a club like Manchester United here. Uh, he won't yeah. mind me saying. So uh, it, won't, it didn't shock anyone. Nonetheless, United were okay in this game, just painfully vulnerable in defence. Yeah, and they had the change. The defence has changed around quite a bit as well. Um, but that's that's some line to say. Again, it doesn't surprise us. It's what what it looked like from the outside for quite some time. You know that. You know, if everyone's not working together, it didn't look to me like it was a group that was wanting to work together. Um, some players looked as if. It was too much hassle for them, or they were too good to do the sort of work you have to do to, you know, to earn the right to go and play your football. And it was just far too much of that for far too long. And if you do that, then younger players coming through, they're just shrugging their shoulders. And I, you and I have chatted a few times. It goes all the way back to a, a game at Crystal Palace I've seen a long time ago when I watched Marcus Rashford and, and actually just said to you, I think there's something wrong with that lad. I, I think there's something getting at him it, it doesn't look like injury he was carrying a wee injury at the time but I just it doesn't look right and I still don't know what that is whether the pressures that he was taking on off the field whether he was fed up with the attitudes of others around him I don't know I, I don't think it can be he's turned into an arrogant young lad because he doesn't seem the type at all um, so it just goes through the dressing room like a poison that it only takes one or two to have the wrong attitudes so, you know, if you're working and there's 11 people who need to work together and two aren't working and nine are doing all their work and then looking bad for doing it. It was that, the explanation, it's classic one where Fred gets a bit of abuse because he goes and tries to close somebody down. But the only reason why he has to go and close somebody down is because that other guy hasn't gone back and done his job. He gets passed by and he looks an idiot. But Fred will know, actually, I had no choice there. You know, footballers aren't stupid. You know when someone's not doing the work around you. And it does, if that, if you feel that throughout the team, you've got cliques, you've got gaps, you've got people that think, well, there's no way I'm going to put myself out for this because I'm the one that's just get the finger pointed at me. So, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all about the dressing room. Um, and, you know, when, when you change your manager now, when he comes in, take up. I, I honestly, somebody said to me, what does he have to do? Where do you start? No. <laughs> I said, where do you start? Because no. you're going to have to get a good number of players who are big name players are going to have to go. Um, and where are you going to get these other players for? You are Manchester United. You're going to have to pay above the going rate. Um, and are they going to be able to do that when you consider Man City are looking for the same top players? You know, Chelsea might be, certainly Liverpool will be looking for one or two more. Newcastle will be looking for the top players. 
there's a wee dribble at the moment back towards uh, Spain as well. That's the sort of market that Manchester United want to be dealing in. And by the way, they don't need one player. They, don't, they need a whole bunch of them. And that's that's a real concern. I don't know if, did you, wasn't Man United, maybe you could fill me in on this. Somebody said that he's going to get £120 million to, to spend. Honestly, I nearly spilled, I spluttered all over the place. I'm not 20 million. I, I know it sounds ridiculous to say. That's not even close. No. That's not even touch the sides of what they need to spend to get that team. If they want to be a team that's going to be near, very quickly near Liverpool and uh, Manchester City. So maybe the right thing is to do the right thing, which is let the new man build it. Give them the time. But they don't generally do that, do they? No, they don't, I suppose. And if you think of all the players who are going to leave, be it Cavani, Ronaldo, either this summer or next, Pogba, Lingard, there is zero money coming in. That's the other well, difficulty the, here. The upside is that's a big cut in the wage bill. And remember, these wage bills sure. are gigantic. So that, there's a bit there. So it's going to give you some sort of leeway. Um, and every football fan, I mean, just about every football fan that goes to games, and I don't mean those that sit and watch from a distance and only want to see stars, you know, and it's, it's, it's less a football game and more of a star show. But everybody who's a real football fan, they goes and they would much rather a young guy, slightly less talented, who's putting in everything than a guy who's a bit older, who's mm. saving himself and controlling himself and not hurting himself. You, you would, we all go for the, We all go for the former. And rightly so, because that young da- guy could then turn out to be the exactly the type of player you need. Um, it's a it's a tough gig. It's a, it's one of those things. That you, it's that classic one. You can't turn it down as a manager, can you? You just can't turn Man United down. But you also know that it could have a huge. I mean, but can you remember what, the way people used to talk about Rangnick before he arrived? The guru. Yeah. <laughs> That was always nonsense. There was nothing. I mean, his CV was shooting out some fairly glaring warning signs. But there you yeah, go. But, I, I but think uh, the, the Ten Hag thing is interesting uh, because there is an argument now. He is the first manager who's in his prime and at the cutting edge of where European coaching is at the moment, uh, post Ferguson. That's a bit harsh on Moyes. Potentially, he wasn't really given enough time to do much either way. But post Moyes, there's an argument that Van Gaal stuff was really very dull and side to side and I, like, it's not to say Van Gaal's not a great football man to be fair and he's still going but there was Van Gaal stuff Mourinho was past his sell-by date and Solskjaer was very much unproven there's now an interesting point where if we're sitting here in say Christmas of Ten Hag's first season and we're using the phrase it looks like they don't have a plan then we are now under no illusions that this is all down to the attitude of the players because Ten Hag 100% will be giving them a very coherent plan Yeah but, but remember you said Similar things, no, you said, everyone said, Rang knows how he wants his team to play. You know, they want to play, and, the, and everyone was told how, and then we watched him, we thought, well, they we can't play that way. Mm. And it may well be the same with Ten Hag. You know, he may know exactly what he wants. The good thing he's got is, he's coming from that different culture, where he will have one or two or maybe three that he can bring in with him and think, right, I know he can do a job, he can do a job. So you get two or three that almost three shots they won't cost a huge sum of money mm. they can go and add a little bit of core to it as well so that's going to help him and I do think he will be given more time than David Moyes <laughs> <He needs to. laughs> I think Moyes' contract is barely up uh, from the initial one 
Come here. <laughs> no. So Arsenal have steadied the ship. At clocks against me. We'll come back to Arsenal this show, uh, this uh, week on the show. They beat Chelsea. They've beaten Manchester United. They're back in pole position. Spurs drop points. So looking good again for fourth, which would be an amazing achievement. Between Bank Holiday Mondays and I think you weren't around one Monday. Haven't talked to you about Chelsea in a while. These are interesting times. Needless to say, at Chelsea. I know you watched the win against West Ham last minute goal, Pulisic. So that shows a certain resolve and spirit is intact. I would say over the last couple of weeks we have seen uh, Thomas Tuchel's general demeanour uh, touch grumpy touch frustrated with the whole thing so what's your read and what's happening here um, yeah he is really frustrated at the moment because he can see that he could well because of the situation with uh, sanctions um, Rudiger will almost certainly go I, can't, I, I cannot imagine there would be and, and I've thought this for a long time that he would stay Christensen might go there are a number that won't bemoan that too much Aspilicueta might go there's a number of players that might go that had you the the knowledge of what you were working with and were allowed to have a budget you would maybe adapt it he will also be looking now thinking I know the players I need to get in now but can he can't do it he can't even start it now because there's no structure at the, at the, the back of the club that can actually do that because you've got no real ownership that's able to make any decisions so if it doesn't fix itself in the next two or three weeks, he's got a really tough summer. And I think that's quite frustrating because I suspect he knows exactly what he would like to go for, where he needs to strengthen. He certainly needs to get two to three centre-backs in. I mean, he absolutely needs to do that. But it's a, it's a bit like, you know, going to a disco. If you don't ask the first good-looking one first, as they used to say in the old days, um, you're going to get caught but anyway notice I didn't say women I just said good looking one could be man women anything right I'm very right on here um, but he could be left with you know not the players he wants to buy purely because of the situation he's in and somewhere down the line from that people will just say yeah, they will forget that is, is he a flight risk do you think Tuchel's stock is pretty high is he a flight risk I would think he is um, if there was well, you, you think of what jobs might be available I think he will look to see who is likely to get in and have a look at the finances then, and he will consider it then. I actually think he loves the place. He's, he's had a really nice time there. He's mm. been quite, yeah, he's been successful. He's got an FA Cup final coming up. Um, but if they're not allowed to really go and add, and he's maybe asked to go and develop some more young players coming through and use, you know, get the likes of Conor Garnacher back, I don't know if that'll be enough for him. I think that might frustrate him hugely, but. Um, if I had to bet on it, I still think you'll be there next year. Okay. Uh, very good. Listen, it's another bank holiday next Monday. I mean, I'm quite upset at having to do a five day week at the moment, but we will talk <laughs> uh, when we talk. Pat and Evan, thanks very much. Look forward to it. See Cheers. you then. Bye bye. Pat and Evan with us on a Monday. Uh, our football coverage brought to you by Sky. Watch every UEFA Champions League and Europa League match live on BT Sport this season. Palace nil, Leeds nil into added time. It will be. Uh, I think it's a perfectly acceptable point for Leeds away from home against a very good Palace side uh, pending the last two minutes.